Hey yo, you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I'm here with Dunny West. Welcome to the podcast, my man. I am so stoked to have you on. Man, I'm extremely excited to be on. I'm glad we were finally able to come together and make this happen. I love this podcast for a number of reasons. Number one, I've always loved uh, Sean Diddy Combs. Grew up in the 90s when I was in fifth grade. It's a fun little story for you. My cousin was best, his best friend became a huge club DJ in Miami. Long story short, that guy got a record pool. And he would send crates of records to my grandpa's house and be like, yo, Robbie, Robbie, me, should be a DJ. And so my parents got me turntables. I am the whitest, skinniest kid ever, but I had Gemini <laughs> turntables and uh, record pools. I would get like all of Diddy's uh, single releases with the Bad Boy Entertainment, like gray outside sleeve. Oh, and, uh, yep. Know that one. Yeah, I Need a Girl Part 1 and Need a Girl Part 2. I had both of those early. I remember the moment where I knew I was going to be a DJ for the rest of my life. So I'm in fifth grade, and my dad is a pastor, which is kind of crazy. They're just like a regular minister, pastor, of a Protestant. And I'm, I'm playing Bad Boy for Life as loud as I could possibly <laughs> play it in the unfinished basement. I'm in fifth grade with my turntables. I'm like, 1-800-223-9797, pretending I'm like Funkmaster Flex and everything. And I, I was playing Bad Boy for Life, and my dad came downstairs and ripped, ripped the record off of like the, the thing. He's like, I'm the definition of half man, half drugs. Is that the kind of man you want to be? <laughs> and I remember being like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Awesome. I didn't know. I didn't know that those are the words. Because if you listen to like, you know, if you listen to Bad Boy for Life as like a millennial, it's like not a big deal. But if you listen to it as like, you know, someone's dad oh, in fifth grade who's mm-hmm. bumping it through the whole house. But I remember he, uh, he walked back out of the room. I was all embarrassed and shit. And he was like, you're done for the day. No more DJing. And I remember like going back and holding that bad boy entertainment record with a big dumb smile on my face. Like this is like Diddy is forever my favorite. Like he got that reaction out of my dad. Here we are today, years later. You're the creative director for uh, Sean Diddy Combs. But tell me a little bit like, you know, what you're doing um, and how you kind of got to where you are today. Yeah. So uh, I've been working with Puff for almost come up like three or four years. Uh, recently with the birth though of my daughter, um, L, to my amazing wife Chanel. Shouts out to both of them because they're the best. Congratulations! I, you know, I had to take a more of a consulting role of the company just to be able to, you know, be more of a dad. Uh, it's awesome, really, man. really important to me. So, the, the interesting thing about getting this role is like it wasn't even my initial role. I had came on trying to get hired by Ciroc, right? Uh, a friend of mine who worked at Blue Flame. You know, he kept pitching me and hitting me all the time, like, "Yo, Ciroc wants to do this. Ciroc wants to do that." But the trigger was never pulled. So one day he hit me, he's like, yo, serious, serious, not lying. Ciroc wants to get on social media. They want to get at it heavy. We see what you're doing. Like, would you be interested? It's like, all right, cool. Like, if you say it's real this time, I'm interested. Let's see what happens. So long story short, uh, the VP of Blue Flame happened to be coming to L.A. literally the next day. And Blue so Flame the is, the, was... is the media group that, that yes. oversees all of that. Yeah, just – I'm obsessed. I know. So, I'm, I'm woke to this, but I don't, I don't know if my yeah, audience knows. Yeah, a lot of people don't know who Blue Flame is, and uh, so that's great that you do. Blue Flame is the internal marketing agency that uh, Puff created to help service the brands and clients that he works with. Yes. So the VP was coming in town. Uh, so literally within 24 hours, a call happened. I go and I sit with him uh, at the Combs Enterprise office in L.A., and it's really, really great combo. 
really cool guy. You know, we vibed very, very well. And uh, he was like, cool. He's like, yeah, let's just make this official. Like, let's have a proper interview. I was like, great, let's go for it. Let's do it. So I get about a week and a half to prep for it. And to be honest, I came from a freelance background. I never had a real job. Right. I worked at Staples for like two months. I worked at Starbucks for like 30 days in a skate park. I've never <laughs> had like a real job. I've always been That's a freelancer. Awesome. I've always tried to, you know, just make my own way because I see, you know, what it is when you have somebody who can control your future. I never loved that. I never loved that concept that somebody could Same. control what I'm doing. Right. So uh, thinking about going into like really working for somebody, let alone somebody like Puff was like, oh, my God. I was probably the most nervous I had ever been during that week's process uh, for going into that interview. Were you going into interview with him or interviewing with someone for the team? Or how, did, how is that? Was it like a round, a series of rounds? So at that time, to my knowledge, I was only supposed to interview with um, his chief of staff. So this is the person who directly hires for him only. Right. Like that's their only job because his personal team is quite big. Yeah. If you really like know the inner workings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked up, you know, who that person was. I happened to find an interview that person did talking about how millennials should interview. I was like studying everything I can to make sure that there was nothing going into that interview that would take me for a loop. Like right. I wanted to just, I went and got a brand new suit. Right. I don't even like wearing suits. I bought a <laughs> suit specifically for the interview. Oh my God. I went, I got the fire haircut. I was just, I had my power stance on, like I was just ready. Damn. And I go, I, I get there, and as I'm pulling into the the Soho House building, that's where our office is. That's so amazing. So as I pull in that day, um, ironically, of course, Puff is pulling in right in front of me. Wow. So I hop out of my car, which is at that time was a Ford, and Puff hops out of his Maybach, right. and there's two Range Rovers in front of him with his whole team. So if you watch Puff over the years, you know that's obviously nothing new. Right. But witnessing it for yourself in person is the most intimidating thing ever. I can like, imagine. Just, yeah, it's like the sound of like the boots getting out. Like, you know, like everyone. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, you yeah. see his assistants. They have multiple bags. You've got security. He's wearing just basketball shorts and a T-shirt. Right. But he still looks like the richest guy in the valet. And he's just really relaxed. He's waving to everybody, shaking you know, the people's hands who work there. He goes in the elevator and I'm trying to avoid getting in that elevator, but the elevators are all locked. So security has to unlock each elevator to let certain people up. That's how secure the building is. Right. So they pushed me in the elevator with him and I immediately was like, nope, not getting out on this floor. I am going straight to the lobby and letting that man do his own thing. I was like, I did not want to walk in with him. I was like, wow, like the universe is testing me right now. There's no way that of all times we get in the elevator together. And all I thought about was if this is my first initial meeting with him, right? Is it gonna be me freaking on the elevator? Like, you know, he's watching really just because he's trying to make sure whoever's standing next to him isn't gonna bother him. Right. It's like I don't wanna be that guy. And then maybe twenty minutes later they're like, Oh hey, he's interviewing for so and so. So I went down to the lobby, went right back up sat down for the interview. I'm ready. I'm like, I got my my leather binder. I got my resume. I got all this stuff. I'm going over questions in my head. And the lady comes in and she looks at me and she's like, your tie's backwards. And I was like, wait, what? And I looked down and my tie like flipped over. For some reason, my tie was just flipped over. And that one sentence completely just threw me for a loop. I was so demoralized for some reason because my (laughs) tie was flipped over. I couldn't recover. Like I literally couldn't get myself back into the right mindset 
So every question she asked me was like she was speaking a foreign language. And there were basic questions, and I just couldn't find my rhythm. I couldn't come back. And I felt the interview literally just shifting left. Like, I didn't get it. I just knew I felt it. I didn't get it. And at the same time, I saw Puff walking back and forth, looking in the room a little bit, too. So it's like all these things were happening. I was like, oh, God, this yeah. isn't going to happen. So she gets up and leaves. Five minutes later, his day-to-day manager comes barging in the room. And his name is Eli. And Eli's like, yo, who are you? What are you doing here? Just like really, really aggressive. <laughs> and I'm looking at him like, uh, 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 I, I don't know why I'm here. What? What? What's going on? <laughs> Just freaking out. I don't even know how to respond. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, I'm here to interview for the head of Ciroc's social media. He's like, what? Hold on. Literally goes around, comes back with a laptop. He's like, you're interviewing with me. He's like, show me your portfolio. Let me see your resume. Just like the most aggressive Jersey guy ever. Right. And I'm like, this is just, I didn't know what to do. I was right. just like handing him, talking to him, whatever he's asking. You probably felt like you already like lost. And I was like, whatever. Right, right. Was, That's so funny. Yeah. I was just like, this is just a weird formality. Cause Eli at the time was dressed completely casual compared to the other people in the office. I was like, oh, he must be the exit interview guy. Right. Whatever. So he looks at everything, looks at my portfolio. He's like, yo, sit here real quick. You want some water? I'm like, no, I'm good. I was just, I just wanted to get the hell out of there. You're trying to breathe. I just wanted to run to my car. Yeah. I just want to go and cry in the seat. I'm like, I ruined this. And he comes back and he's like, yo, you want to meet him? I'm like, meet who? He's like, come on, let's go meet him. I was like, I'm not meeting anybody. He's like, yo, stop being a bitch. He's like, go meet him. I was like, ah. You say something like that, I'm like, well, I guess I got to go meet him. Right, right, right. So I go down the hall. I go into his completely oversized, intimidating, beautifully designed office. He has like four couches in there. He's sitting in the back in like his own personal lounge. I'm like, this this can't be real. Right. I was like, this this must be the most awkward, just you didn't get it interview ever. <laughs> so they have me sit down on a couch. I sit down. He looks at me. He's like, yo, let's go sit at the table. Oh, my God. He's already doing the Diddy mindfuck. He's pushing me all over the room. Like, oh, my God. So we go and sit down, and he pretty much doesn't say anything for, like, three minutes. And he's just scrolling in his phone, right, like texting whatever. And he looks up, and he's like, so are you good? And I was like, uh, I think I'm good. I don't, I don't really know how to answer this question. And he puts his phone down, and I see that he scrolled my entire Instagram timeline to my very first post. And I'm like, Jesus, bro. My first post was like an iPhone 3 with right. hella filters. I was like, did you just study my entire life on social before you just talked to me? Starts asking me the most random questions. What's your favorite movie? I panicked. I just happened to go happen to see Ghostbusters that week. I was like, Ghostbusters. He's like looking at me like, Ghostbusters? He's like, well, what type of film? Like, what do you, how do you like to edit? And I was like, well, I like film noir. He's like, so why don't you say a film noir movie? And I was like, well, Ghostbusters is a classic. Like, we started having this random, awkward exchange right. that had nothing to do with Ciroc or social media. And, uh, you know, a couple more questions go by. I pretty much at this time was like, well, I know Did you I get him to I laugh or to something? Like was, there, like, was there a moment in the conversation? There was a said? lot of, like, witty humor I was throwing at him. Because I pretty much assumed at that time I didn't get it. And this is just a formality. Right. So, they didn't, so he didn't come off rude. So I was like, fuck it, I'm about to just be myself. So I was just rude. I was just being like the type of guy I really am. I was cracking jokes. And I shake his hand, I leave. As I'm running to the elevator to rethink my life, <laughs> Eli comes running out. He's like, yo, what did you say? And I was like, honestly, Eli, I don't know what I said. 
I was like, I think I just blacked out. I was like, I need to go have like a yeah, nap, yeah, yeah, drink, and right, some right, water, right. And, yeah. and just kale or something. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> I was just so yeah, you're hilarious, bro. Long we need to be friends after this podcast. <laughs> long story short, three days later, I don't hear from anything from anybody. And the guy in New York who initially set this all up calls me and he's like, bro, what did you say in that interview? And I was like, bro, I don't know. And he was like, I am getting free lunch. He was like, the head of HR wants to take me out for dinner. He's like, everybody wants to stop patting me on the back. He fucking loves you. And I was like, how? What did I do? Because I don't remember anything. Wow. It was one of those scenarios. It was like, when I thought I didn't have it, like I didn't have the job. Yeah. I was fearless just to be myself. Exactly. And realize in that scenario, like it was just me and another guy talking. Like that was it. Yeah. Nothing I could change about that scenario. I was like, fuck it. We're just going to have a conversation. Hell and yeah. I'm going to at least walk away and tell people that I got to talk with Puff about loving Ghostbusters. It's just proof that like two people could sit down and have a conversation and get to know each other. Um, and that's really what I want to get across in this podcast is that you could be at two different skill set levels. One person can be running a whole bunch of crazy stuff. The other person, like me, I've only been in the field for like two, two and a half years at this point, and I'm, and I'm working on it. But I love the notion that you can just kind of chop it up and talk and tell funny stories. And I'm trying to get people that are just entering, like entry-level creative professionals, I'm trying to get them to not be so transactional about these things and just come at, come at things that just like, two human beings like we're doing right now, like having a conversation. Sometimes just being real and being yourself can stand out so much in a world where people are always wanting something. I mean, I bet you get a lot of people, like fill me in on that. How many people hit you up like, yo, like let me get a job. Is it every day, all day? People every, are just trying every to- Every day, all day, by this millisecond. And they don't want people, shit to do with you. They just want that job and they want to use They want the job. You, right? And I've had the most random requests too, like, there was an auto body shop that hit me. It was like, yo, Combs Enterprises needs to sponsor. Like, how do we come on? I'm like, what? I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like, he's good with cars. They're like, no, like, Puff needs to just buy it. It's the most random, yeah. crazy, crazy request. But to what you're saying, though, is 100% true. Because the, something I like to tell people a lot is that one-on-one -on -one human interaction is really what's going to put you over the top with with whoever you're interviewing with because right. you have to really think about people uh, you know especially like in the interviewing process they meet people all the time they're constantly having to take in personalities mm -hmm. the thing that's always going to stand out the most is can i work with this person seven days a week like, yes clearly if they're here they're qualified enough to have the conversation right. but do i want to be bothered with this person seven days a week right 365 Mm -hmm. Like, and if you're able to have people still feel this calm, relaxed, and know that they can have an open conversation with you, whether it's going to be good or bad, but they still like the interaction, that's going to put you over the top. Right. That airport test is 1000% true. Yeah. Especially when you're dealing with somebody who's, you know, like an iconoclast or CEO or somebody who's just, you know, does not do well with having new people come into his, you know, into his circle. Right. You have to overly prove in a sense that like not only do you not give a fuck about who they are in a sense, like right. they're still a person to you. Yeah. You have to let them know that 
with whatever they're bringing into that situation, you know, whether it's money, power, you know, all that stuff, you still can do your job and communicate with them without it being a situation. And, and even with my other clients uh, who are, you know, at the same level of puff, if, if sometimes even bigger, they have people come in the room and I can take a second back and sit and watch how they'll let that person form who they are in the interaction when it shouldn't. Just because you're sitting with, you know, Puff, Hove, you know, Will Smith, Kanye, you shouldn't change who you are. Right. Those people can read yes. that change in you instantly. And for that sure. kind of, for a lot of them, sometimes they they kind of like, not to put names on anybody, but they kind of get off knowing like, uh-oh, you just fucked up. You just showed me that you don't have a spine in this conversation. Yes. So a lot of times yeah, they'll, yeah. Just, they'll dismiss you and just mess around with you. Like, Right. It's like a cat playing with a mouse kind of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. And I realized that recently, like that's a huge unlock for me, is that you being yourself is your leverage. If you're being your truest self, you're going to experience like some to a lot of friction. Like I would would be in these corporate environments and constantly just like things would be happening where I, I would be outspoken, but I'd be being myself. But People didn't know how to handle that, and I would experience friction, whether it be like not extending the contract or, you know, like saying the wrong thing in front of somebody. And for a long time, it felt like I was like a failure. But what's happened now is that I've been myself for so long that I've actually reaped the rewards of that because I'm surrounded by people that know what I'm really about, and you come Mm -hmm. to learn to love that. But if you're not being yourself on a regular and, and consistent basis, then you'll never know, you know. No, one hundred percent. Even when I was younger, I was super introverted, so it was very hard sometimes for me to even talk to my client. I would push them to text messages instead of a phone call. Right. And over the years, because I got better at communicating with people, and as I got better at communicating with people, the thing that always stuck with me from client to client, even if things went bad, the one thing they would always be able to say is, "Like Dunny is the most brutally honest person." I've ever talked to. Yeah. To the point that I would say things even when they I knew they didn't want to hear it. But it, I had learned early on every scenario young when I didn't speak my mind or I didn't say what I thought needed to be fixed or should have been done. Right. And then the universe showed me I was right. Yes. It would just drive me insane. Like, why didn't I just say it? Right. Situation's over with. And if I would have just said it, I could have fixed it or I could have helped or I could have did something that would have dramatically changed the narrative for that person. Yeah. It doesn't behoove me to just not be honest. Right. Like, at the end of the day, even if I were to be completely honest with you, be like, Rob, I don't think this is the best da-da-da-da. Right. You may take it in a certain way, and you'll go on with your life, and I'll go on with mine, but at least I can go to sleep knowing, like, I told you the truth. Yes. Yeah, the, the like, transparency, that means, yeah. It means so much to me. And, I'm probably better at being more honest and truthful with my clients than friends and family. So I need to kind of take that attribute exactly. and pull it into my personal. But it's just something that I, I try to tell a lot of creatives, like don't let certain scenarios or you know people keep you from just being honest. Like For they're sure. paying you, they're working with you. They want your honesty. For sure. So let's uh, switch it up. We'll get into some some fun stuff. I, I love this though. I want to learn more about the, like the, the team that you're on. So so it's four people, is that correct? Or and that, yes, from that the article? core team is yeah. And the, from the Forbes article, you know, still team, which we call ourselves. We are it's four main guys. You have myself, you have Dion, you have Carlos, and you have Kaito. 
You know, Dion, you added me have... on Instagram. It's okay. I love you, Dion. He accepted is my... that, You know what? No, he's inundated. Dion... I totally get it. See? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, Dion, I don't get... is, Dion is Dion. He's very... If, if I'm... <laughs> Like this. It's all love, by the way, exactly Dion. I'm totally same. kidding. I really don't care. It's, it's all good. Oh, I, I love it. I love it. Me and Dion are exactly the same, but then we are the polar opposite when it comes to a lot of the more in the public eye facing stuff. Yeah. Like he moves very, 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 very quietly. Yes. If we were the same person, if we had to put celebrity personality traits, right. Dion is whole and I'd be puff. <laughs> <laughs> Great friends. But in public, like, Very I'm different. probably going to be a little bit more energetic, and Dion's going to just kind of sit back with a gold bottle of Ace and just stare. Like, yeah. that's just how he... Yeah, I'm definitely a punk. But when he decides to sure. strike, then he, you know, does a billion-dollar deal. Like, that's how Dion works. I love that shit. See, I, I want to be like that. I wish I could be like that, but I don't have... Like, I, my goal has always been to, to be the person who speaks when spoken to, and as you can see, I do a terrible job of that. <laughs> but see, but that makes you extremely powerful though, you know I mean? because... Yeah. Exactly. That's just what I was just about to say, like, that makes you so powerful because you know your strength. Yes. You're not trying to pretend and do something else that you're not supposed to. And that was one thing that made the team so strong compared to practically, I would say, any other marketing agency that we put ourselves against because nobody on our team jumps in somebody else's lane. Yes. Like, Dion knows what he does and he does it better than anybody else and he does that. I know what I do. I do it better than anybody else. I hold myself to that. And I only do that. Mm-hmm. Same with Carlos and same with Kaito. And and it's really an iron sharpened iron because even though we all know what we do, we still pay attention to what each other does and yes. we ask questions and we challenge each other. Yeah. Like if we think that Kaito could have did a little bit better, we'll say it to him. Like, bro, do you think you could have did this? So how do you think about this? Yeah. And because he's a younger creative and I'm more of a vet creative, he teaches me a lot and I teach him a lot. For and sure. With Dion being, you know, an analytical guy, then he brings that into it. Low slowing social, he brings that into it. Yeah. So there's never been a situation on our team where we ever failed because an ego came into it. Yeah. If we ever failed as a team, it was because something else outside of us kept us from doing what we needed to do. Right. But internally, that self awareness of who we know we each are and what we're bringing to the table is the reason why that we've done stuff like launched a Ciroc flavor in the middle of shooting a promo for Showtime. Which, on which the one was set. that? Because I, I remember you guys had a couple of big releases. The Summer Culotta um, thing you guys had, or whatever that was, was ridiculous. That was just like, bang, 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 every, like every that day. That one was awesome. That was, for me, one of the highlights of my life because on the back end, everything was stacked against us to do it right. And I feel like you guys, in a way, even when I was in, like in school, I'm showing how young I am here. But even when I'm, I was in school and stuff, when they talked about like con- you know, content marketing and influencer marketing, I mm-hmm. mean, you guys, in a way, have like kind of wrote the script for some of that stuff. I mean, like the the oh, work you guys absolutely. did with like DJ Khaled, yeah. It, it's really puff. Like yeah. I've worked with a lot of people at his level and he's one of the few I've met who's so in tune with the culture. Like it's kind of scary because he's, you know, he's dramatically older than us, Yes. but he'll be more in tune than we are. Like there were so many times he would put me up on something. I'd be like, how do you know about this? Like, we're supposed to be the cool kids going on. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to be the fly one around you. You're over here putting me on game. But his brain is honestly like, 
if there ever is a time where they could really do like a serious documentary on him and just how he goes into marketing and branding, he's he's the one who really pushed me to be at the top of my game because he's always five steps ahead of every agency I've ever seen. And a master, contact. an absolute master of attention. Like yes. the, the shit he did like with TRL, like hijacking TRL and the height mm-hmm. of the 90s. And it seems so it seems so like simple, but it's so prolific and so genius. Like that's what I appreciate about him is like the entrepreneurial side of it, but also the the hacking quality mm-hmm. that he has. No, it's I not think just he's like done smart, an amazing yeah. job of culturally being one of the first people to go viral before we knew what viral was. Oh, first that's what I mean. Like, that's what I'm getting at. He like made the mold like, for that. Doing mm-hmm. that. if you go through his entire, I feel like if you go through his early '90s and early 2000s career, almost everything he ever did, we all know. But if you think about it, a lot of this is so pre-internet. How could we all know? Exactly. Like, he was going viral culturally. Like he was creating conversations where we all either had to then try and search for it on TV or wait for it. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like it was. It's amazing to think that like he's kept himself so relevant and, and on our plates for so long. That's an impressive feat. Told you I'm right up on now, this shit. <laughs> <laughs> you're very, very well versed. I'm super thank you, impressed, thank you. man. Let's do some stuff for entry-level creatives coming in. We talked a lot about the mindset, which in my personal perspective is the, is the most important because it allows you to get to these other things. So for the technical kind of stuff, um, and I know you guys do a lot like with vertical video. You guys are also early on that really kind of shooting things vertically. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people and so funny to see those agencies could not get off the ground and couldn't get into that like IGTV type thing. And you guys were like mm-hmm. already there making when you went to the, um, the studio when you went around with a golf cart in the studio and you went to remember oh, his yeah. daughters there. That was dope. More, well, so more of that. Yeah. So- I got all emotional. It was weird. <laughs> so one of the things that um, you know we were doing with social was because our lives were, literally became just 24-7 social at yes. one point. Like it's the only thing we thought about. Yeah. And a lot of the conversations you know, with my content background, it's like I would just look at the phone as like a television screen. Yes. And I was like, so what is wrong with what we're doing? And I was like, we keep thinking about left and right when we're shooting or making our content. But we have to keep remembering that, like, your phone is going up and down, you know? How do we just reformat, resituate that? And especially with Instagram forcing a lot of creators to change their, you know, spacing requirements. You know, we had to go from everything was widescreen at one point. Everybody wanted, because, you know, because of laptops, everybody was on the computer. Yes. Then all of a sudden, you know, Instagram came and just changed the game. Now we got to fit everything in a four by four box. Thankfully, you know, they hit it to a four by five for portrait. And then we have now IG stories and Instagram TV. Right. And it was like paying attention to like, how are we digesting our content and all these different formats and mediums on Instagram and Snapchat and all that other stuff is how we just make quick changes in real time to our content as, you know, as we're taking it in. Because we really just thought about Instagram as a television network for Puff. Yes. Like, that's just how we just went about it. We're like, look, we know we're going to the four. You know, that's going to be the four television show segment. Oh, we know what we want to yeah, do. Yeah, we yeah, know yeah. our conversations, you know. And then at nighttime, we may be going to the studio. So that's going to be our daily on nights or, you know, our Sorokin studio. Like, as soon as we would go into certain situations or certain things would happen, my brain would just click into knowing, like, 
these are the angles or this is the conversation or the narrative I want to show through this piece of content or through social. Right. This is how I need to frame it. This is what we need to do. And you guys would almost kind of do it like pitching. Like it would be like fastball, fastball, change up. So, so it would be like the four, the four. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like he was in uh, at a beach and where there was like Nat King Cole playing in the background. And it was just him mm-hmm. hanging out. But you guys do that on a regular yeah, basis. And it keeps you going to the next one, which is a very important thing in the, in the dynamic. You know what I mean? So no, at 100%. You made me think one thing about that, that, Puff, that. Yeah. One thing that Puff was, uh, that made me do as a creative, he's probably the most uh, particular person I've ever met. Like, he does not really like anything. Yeah. I never really like anything. Mm-hmm. You bring those two people together in a room, it's like, are we ever going to agree? So I had to really learn his language, mm-hmm. like learn his likes, his dislikes. Like, yeah. But one of the most interesting scenarios with that was when we were doing the Can't Stop, Won't Stop movie. During the process, we you know teamed up with Apple. We were working hand in hand with them. At the time, the company kind of believed that because we're teaming with Apple, we should really rely on Apple for the marketing of this movie. I was like, okay, you know what? It's Apple. Like, right. They have some of the best branding and marketing on the fucking planet. Right. Can't really argue with that. So I just thought about with my team, I was like, we're just going to focus on Puff's channels, on the content I want to put out for him on his channels only, not for you know the, the mass release to the world. So we had a few meetings, and about a month went by. Puff went on vacation. Uh, he went quiet. Me and the team kind of just sat back. I just started just busting out content plays, all the stuff I wanted to do. You know, we really started getting busy. And I was like, cool, when Puff comes back, we're ready for his channels. So an emergency meeting happens. I'm at the office. I get this, like, crazy 911. It's like, yo, come to the house right now. It's like, oh, shit. I think I didn't even plan to meet with him that day. I had, like, sweats on. Right. I was looking, like, low-key bummy. Right. I was in, like, just in my, like, my Steve Jobs work mode. I didn't really think about it. So it's like, whatever. Shoot straight to the house. I see the butlers like putting out all this food. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a real meeting. And I look like a bum right now. Uh, whatever. It is what it is. Right. Before I know it, I'm seeing Jimmy Iovine, Larry Jackson, uh, you know, presidents and vice presidents of marketing and, uh, and digital from Apple sitting in the room. I'm like, oh God, I'm still wearing sweats. Like, <laughs> this oh is not going to go good. Like, what is going on? And Puff was pretty much at the time like, he wanted to see everybody's ideas from Apple on marketing the movie. He wasn't really happy with what was being pitched to him from Apple's side. So all these decks are being put up on the screen. He's looking at it. He's really like, it's cool. It's uh, uh, uh. Then we started getting into like the social content. And that's where, you know, at the time, it's social. Everybody wants to know how you're marketing on social. That's probably the most important conversation nowadays anyways. Not really compared to like television or radio spots. It's like, right. what are we doing in social? Yeah. The agency puts their stuff in front of him. He's looking, and he's just like, it's not it. So he looks at me, and I don't think he was not planning to look at me. But I was looking, because we kept looking at each other during the meeting. And my eyes would get big, and I would kind of start shaking my head. I was agreeing with him without saying anything. Like, I don't like any of this stuff either. Right. So he looked, and he was like, do you have anything? And in my mind, I was like, oh, I got something. Right. I got 30 pages of fire <laughs> I'm waiting to give you, but I guess I'm going to show it to you right now. Right. So I was like, I'm acting cool. I'm acting quiet. I was like, yeah, uh, I got something. I'll, I'll put it on the screen right now. 
So I go through like the intro, you know, it's just basic analytical stuff, talking about our reach, you know, what we're going to do here, maybe some marketing dollars, blah, 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 all technical, boring stuff. Right. Then I get into the first piece of creative. Whole room goes quiet. They're watching it, right? Apple doesn't know what to say. Everybody's just really like looking up Puff, like what is he going to say? First trailer comes up that my team cut, intro card, trailer ends. And Puff literally just, you got another one? Play the second one. You got another one? Play the third one. Just looks at me and smacks the table so hard, like the the little guy inside of me fell off of his chair. And he was like, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Like literally starts going on this just crazy, great tirade on how great this presentation was. Wow. And how amazing. And you were in sweatpants. <laughs> and I'm wearing fucking sweats. Like I, at that Apple. time now, oh the God. dynamic of the room changed because I knew what I was doing. Right. Like when I first got into graphic design, I was obsessed with magazine covers. Before I even knew what Photoshop was, there was a program in Windows in Windows called yeah. Paint. And uh, and I'm gonna really date and let you know how old I am. When MySpace was still here, I was obsessed obsessed with magazine covers. So I took a modeling photo I had. God knows why I had a modeling photo, and I tried to recreate myself on a GQ cover. Nice. Using the paint program because again I didn't know what Photoshop was at the time. Right. Now the handicap yeah, no. with paint was yeah. you can only go back and undo one step. So as you're creating the cover, you pretty much can only go in right. one direction. No clipping mask. You can't. Right. Yeah. No. There's no no edits after you pretty much lay it and go on to your next part. It's done. Yeah. Forcing my and and I probably made at least. 30 different versions before I felt what's exactly closest to a GQ cover. And I'm, maybe I'm going to find it and send it to you. And you're just going to be dying laughing because it's just, okay. <laughs> oh, my God. But during that process, though, forced me to learn about, like, typography, alignment, sizing, yes. cutting, cropping, all that stuff. Recreating. So point, big on that, yeah. So by the time I created my own magazine, which me and my best friend did when we were in college – I was able to create an entire magazine, 30 pages, and under 48 hours every month after we collected the stories. And that was one of the things that boosted me into like the public profile as a solo artist because everybody was asking, like, yo, this magazine is amazing. Who designed this? Right. You'd be like, I did. And I'd be like, I did it in two days. Yeah. You're like, wait, you designed an entire magazine front to back in two days? It's like, yeah. I didn't know that my passion for just liking magazine covers four years before that would turn into something else. Yeah. But putting myself in that mindset of like, I, I love it. I want to see if I could do it. For sure. And I pretty much have done that with every single thing that I'm what I consider a master at now was I saw it. I wanted to create it. I forced myself to learn it. This has been so much fun, dude. You you are the man. I'm super stoked to uh, to put out the content for this. Maybe I'll try and find uh, some old DJ pictures of me with my Bad Boy Entertainment uh, records and stuff like that. I actually so see myself personally. Gotcha. Let's be best friends forever. <laughs> All right, bro. Give me some. Yeah, nice meeting you. You too. We can't be stopped now, cause it's Bad Boy for Life.